Welcome to the Wisdom Rising podcast. I'm your host, Lama Sultrama Alione, and my goal with this podcast is really to open your own wisdom, to have your own wisdom rising, either through the meditations that I lead or introduce you to, or to the people that I interview that bring wisdom with them in their own voice, in their own traditions. So we look forward to raising our wisdom together on the Wisdom Rising podcast. And I'm so happy to share this with you. I thought I would do something I've never done before, which is just open it up live for questions and just do a Q&A live for you today. And so the chat is open. I'm going to hope I can answer whatever questions you ask and I will uh, see what what pops up. Okay, this question. What do you see as your purpose in this lifetime as a reincarnation of Machik Lapton? Well, it's very specific. I didn't get this assignment until I was 60 years old. But when I got it from her, I realized I had already been doing it since my 20s. She appeared to me in my retreat cabin in 2006. And basically what she said is, you need to find my lineage and you need to reestablish it. And so that led to my trip to Nepal when I met Lama Wangdu. And maybe I'll tell that story since we were talking about Lama Wangdu. So... I had this vision in my cabin. Machik appeared riding a white lion in my cabin. She dismounted from the white lion. She transmitted a practice into me, which I teach in Kapala training level four. I've only taught it, I believe once, that practice. After she transmitted that to me, she told me that you have to find my lineage and it's urgent. And she kept emphasizing that it was urgent. And I was in retreat. I believe it was a month long retreat. And so I thought, am I supposed to leave retreat now and go find his lineage? And I had been teaching on Machik Lapchan and should. I I learned should in 1970. Three And I actually received the transmission for it, 1972, from Dingo Kensi Rinpoche during the Damnak Wongs. There was a whole series of empowerments of her lineage and the Shijay lineage that I received. And I, I believe that was the first time I heard her name. In any case, I had been teaching it under Namke Norbu Rinpoche in, since the 80s. And then... Her story was in Women of Wisdom. And so I became known as a teacher of Chut practice. I first went to her seat in Tibet in 1992. Zangri Kamar had very powerful experience there. And then after this experience in my cabin in October of 2006, I thought, I, I need to go now. And then... I told my husband, David, and he said, not now. 
finish your retreat. And there was a llama coming and he was like, you need to be here to host this llama. And anyway, it ended up that we went that spring. And in the meantime, I contacted a friend of mine named Carol Dunham, who some of you may know. She lived in Kathmandu for many, many years, anthropologist and um, created wonderful businesses for local people there with the herbs of Nepal, soaps and tinctures and so on. So I knew that Carol knew Lama Wangdu and I knew Lama Wangdu was known for Chud. So I called her in Nepal back in the days when you made phone calls and told her what had happened in retreat. And she said, you have to meet Lama Wangdu. And so when I ended up going was in the spring of 2007 in June. And I took a whole group of people on a pilgrimage. And the first thing we did was go to Kathmandu. When we got to Kathmandu, Carol took us to meet Lama Wangdu. And Lama Wangdu invited us to see him do the dance of the chut, which I had never seen performed. That time, of course, he was he was a lot younger, and but he was still pretty old. So he, I believe he was 88 when he died now, and this was in 2007. So he took us at night to Pashpatinath, which is a sacred Hindu charnel ground, and he set it all up, and he did the dance with the chut, where you dance in the four directions, and you sound the kanling, the and you call the dakinis of the five directions for four plus from the sky. Then we went to Tibet, and it was in Tibet at that time that where I, I was recognized when we got to Machik's place, the Lama of, of Machik's place in Tibet came out to meet our group in a very ceremonious way. And I thought, this is strange. You know, we're basically just kind of like tourists. Uh, of course, we didn't feel we were tourists. We, we felt ourselves as pilgrims. But in any case, he, he it was very ceremonious with incense and so on. And then asked me to go into the temple and and then told me to sit on the throne in the temple at my cheek seat in Tibet. And I thought, that's really weird. That's your seat, I said to the Lama. And he said, no, that's your seat. And I said, no, it's your seat. And that went back and forth for a while. And he would not give up. And so he made me sit there. And then he asked me to teach. And I decided to teach Machik's last instructions. And it just so happened that Jerome Du was there, who had translated Machik's last instructions for his wonderful book, The Machik Lapterin and the Foundations of Chut. Their last instructions are at the end. And I also put it at the end of my book, feeding your demons. So it's there as well. In any case, a whole series of things happened over a period of three days and lots of signs, rainbows and so on. And then on the final day, he stated, after we had completed should practice on the beach of this amazing huge river called the Sampo, the Brahmaputra, he said, you are an emanation of Machik Lapran. 
and I've been watching all the signs and I had a dream three days before you came that a white dakini was coming from the west and and that she was sounding the damaru should uses the damaru this drum loudly that's why I came to greet you and then he gave me her relics which I also didn't want to take I felt they belonged in Tibet but he insisted he said I've seen so many relics go into that river Chinese throwing relics into the river take them they'll be safer and in fact right after that with with the protests in Tibet around the Olympics that created a huge wave of constriction in Tibet and and many things were thrown into the rivers so it is good that we we have them at Taramandala and we hope to build a stupa around them but anyway when we came back to Nepal, Lama Wangdu greeted us again, and then he had me sit in front of him for an eight-hour puja. And then at the end of that, he said, okay, that's the final sign. You are an emanation of Machi Glaptran. And I said, what do you mean the final sign? And he said, well, three days before you came back from Tibet, she appeared to me in the sky and she said, in three days, I'll be there. And she was with her whole retinue. And then you arrived. And then during the puja, this eight-hour puja, I saw her dissolve into you. So that's the story. Jeff, I'm looking at your question. And you're talking about the nature of mind practice and do monks remain in that at all times? And yeah. In any practice, generally, there's three stages. The generation of bodhicitta and refuge at the beginning, the resting in the non-dual state in the middle, and then the dedication of merit at the end. That's called the dampasum, or the three sacreds, or the three holies. Whether monks are in that at all times, I doubt it. (laughs) There's lots of different monks at different levels, and some monks really pretty much only study or just do pujas. Uh, Not so many really have teachings on the nature of mind and have extensively practiced them. I think the lamas, yes, the lamas do all have those teachings and would certainly be attempting to stay in it at all times. But to really be, be able to have that continuity at all times takes a lot of practice and it's a very high level of realization and it's wonderful that you're doing it and that it had that impact on you to create a continual process of awareness of awareness the nature of our mind is like a mirror think about a mirror and how it remains stainless and unaffected by anything that passes in front of it. In a way, a mirror is also nothing in itself. When you think about it, all kinds of things reflect in it, but it's just a piece of glass that has something painted on the back. So the mind also, when we look, when we turn awareness to look at awareness, we don't find a thing, but we feel and experience the presence of everything. 
of an awareness that has no center, no fringe, no beginning, no end, is luminous and awake. And then the events of our lives are like the reflections in the mirror. And if we can hold that awareness of the mirror as those reflections occur in our lives of events, good things, bad things, friends, challenges, etc. We stay in the nature of the mirror. We are in our true nature. And that is the essence of the practice. To rest in the nature of the mirror. Think about mirrors like if something beautiful passes in front of and reflects in the mirror. The mirror isn't any different than if something ugly passes by, right? Or even something terrible could happen in front of a mirror or something good. And the nature of the mirror doesn't change. So we practice developing a continuity of that level of awareness. And, and that's the non-dual teachings that I have begun to teach more openly in the last couple of years with the Sahaja teachings, with the Samday teachings I've been giving here to some extent. And I'll be teaching that in various places around this country. In 2024, I'll be teaching at Omega Institute in June. I believe the dates are the 21st to the 23rd. If that's a weekend, that's, that is it. I'll be teaching it at Hollyhock Farm in Canada in August, the 9th through the 14th. So that's a longer retreat, in-person retreat at the beautiful, beautiful farm uh, retreat center in Canada on an island. So you have to like go by boat. And I'll, I'll probably teach it also at Esalen Institute in California. That hasn't been scheduled yet. Anyway, I'm teaching that more openly now because I really feel it's so important and shouldn't be a secret. <laughs> and it's also very important not to just experience it intellectually, but to experience it experientially. And that's why it's kept secret, because it's actually quite easy to understand intellectually, but the actual depth experience of it and the stabilization of that is much harder. And that's why we do all the preparatory practices and nundro and so on. Um, thanks for your question, Jeff. Let's see. What else do we have? And I'll quickly answer Galena's question about other dimensions. Well, we're in the dimension, right? With our senses, we're seeing certain things, we're hearing and so on. We think this is reality. But think about like birds. What are they actually experiencing? We think it looks like what it looks like to us and that the world is the same world, but is are they experiencing the same world? And then think about how big the universe is and how unlikely it is that we are the only sentient beings in the universe. Although it does seem like we're surrounded by quite a few dead planets. <laughs> Einstein said the likelihood of there not being other life in the solar system and in our universe 
is as likely as if you ripped up the Paris phone book and you threw it on the ground and it all came back together in order. That's the likelihood that there's not life out there. The other thing is it's not just life at the vibrational field level that we are. So when I say other dimensions, I often mean a more refined dimension. So that would be a vibrational field that we might not be able to perceive because of the coarseness of our vibra vibrational field and our mind and our limits as human beings. And so there are other dimensions. I know this because I've seen some of them. And also my teacher, Nanki Rinpoche, visited other dimensions regularly in his dreams. And he was very specific in his descriptions of them. But we're in this one now. And so let's try to do our best in this one. And it is hard. It's really hard. I feel like it's very dangerous now. The world is in a very precarious place. And doing practice for peace is really important. I know a lot of lamas are doing Vajrakilaya practice for peace, but in any case, we need to do something, whatever we can. Okay, so I think our time is up actually. That was so nice to, to be with you. Thank you everyone. Great to see you, lots of love. And see you again soon. Thank you, everyone, for being with us for this Wisdom Rising podcast. May it benefit all beings. And I'd like to take a moment to thank the production team of Wisdom Rising. And also to let you know that if you would like further information on my work or the associated people who work with Tara Mandala, you can reach out to the Tara Mandala website, T-A-R-A-M-A-N-D-A-L-A dot O-R-G. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe.